Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so glad you are here. My name is Adam, and we are continuing in our study of the book of Colossians today. We've only got one verse to cover, okay? Up until now, we've always had a few at least or a couple, but today it's just one verse, and it's about wives, okay? Now, don't tune out. Those of you who are online, don't turn it off. If you're like, ah, this doesn't apply to me, I think this is actually going to be really good for everyone. And in fact, I've asked a number of wives in our church to join us on stage a little bit later later on today to share about how this applies in their lives and their marriages. So that's what we are going to be talking about today in our message time. And like I said, I think this is going to be good and helpful for everyone, whether or not you are married, young, old, single, whatever it is, it's always good to know what does the Bible teach about this? And just as importantly, what does the Bible not teach about this? Because this has also been taught, in my opinion, wrongly in many instances, and we want to be clear about that. What does the Bible actually have to say about some of these? It's kind of a controversial topic, okay? So I'm going to do a short teaching time just so that we have kind of the biblical principles established, and then we're going to turn it over to a panel discussion, and I think you are really, really going to enjoy it. But before we do that, why don't we go ahead and start off in prayer? Would you just bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come before you now and to worship you and to praise you, Lord. And even though we can't necessarily sing out loud to our heart's content, we can worship you in our hearts and we know that, that to you, that is sweet music to your ears. And so, Lord, I pray that our praises go up to you today. Um, and, and, and at the end of the service, we've got one more song to sing, Lord. I pray that we'll just be praising you with our whole heart inside and that you would be glorified and honored by it. And as we look at your word now, I pray that, that this would be an act of worship to you as well, that we would give it our full attention, that, that we would focus on it, that we would not be to come distracted by notifications on our phones or anything like that, but that you would have our full attention right now in your word, that we would learn more about you and what you have to say to us and how you want us to live our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I heard a pastor tell a story about a young girl who watched the movie Cinderella. Anybody like the movie Cinderella? It's a good movie. And uh, I don't know about the new one. I haven't seen that. But the old one, the cartoon, good movie. And she was telling her friend about this the next day, about all the, the mice and the glass slippers and the pumpkin and all that stuff. And her friend stopped her and said, yeah, yeah, I know this story. I know what happens in the end. They live happily ever after. And the little girl stops her and says, oh, no, they didn't. They got married. <laughs> now, that's funny but it's also sad, isn't it? Because that is kind of the perception that a lot of people in our world have about marriage, that it's kind of a negative thing. The idea of a lifelong commitment for some people like that is a, is a harsh, abrasive kind of thing. They want the freedom to be able to enter into it and, and get out of it, and that's not how God designed marriage to work. If we do marriage God's way, we're going to have a much better time with it. It's a wonderful, lifelong partnership. Not without its bumps and difficulties, for sure, but even as we work through those, we grow in our understanding of how God wants to live and in our, our personal growth and our marital growth. So that's what we want to talk about today. I want to establish some basic principles for marriage, but I also want to zero in on this one specific verse. I'm going to try to approach it a very particular way so we get there in the right way, I think. First, let me just introduce you to the verse, okay? This is the text for today. This is in the Bible. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. You can see it on the screen or turn to it in your Bible. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. 
I'm just checking to see if anybody's leaving. No, okay, we're all still here. This is an awkward verse, right? This is just a weird, uncomfortable verse. Does anyone, I'm just curious, did anyone make this their life verse? Anyone? Okay. If, if any wives raise their hand, that would be concerning. If any husbands raise their hands, that's, that's a sign. I haven't seen this on too many um, home walls, like on a painting where they've got a beautiful verse up there. You know, this is not one of those that you walk into your friend's kitchen like, oh yeah, Colossians 3.18, that's great. Can you imagine if a woman's retreat ever made this like their theme? You know, could you imagine going to a woman's conference? They always have that stuff for you to take away and this is what they gave you to take away. Wouldn't that be incredible? I mean, let's just be honest. This is an incredibly awkward and uncomfortable verse. It sounds weird to our ears, especially I would say our modern ears. It seems off. And yet it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So what do we do with it? The first thing I think we need to do is be honest about the fact that this verse is related to a lot of hurt and pain for a lot of people. And we just need to acknowledge that fact. Some of you may actually be twitching a little bit, wondering how are we going to cover this verse today? How are we going to handle this? But there is a lot of pain and hurt associated with this verse for many people because of how it has been used sometimes in the past. And if you're not familiar with that and you don't know what I'm talking about, that's, that's great, that's wonderful. But the fact of the matter is this verse has been wrongly used in some instances to say that husbands can be domineering over their wives, that wives have no say in decisions at all. It's been used to dismiss the concerns of wives over their husband's behavior. It's been used in some cases even to cover up abuse. And none of that is actually what God intended from this verse. In fact, I want to suggest to you that this, this verse is, has a perception problem. It is so misunderstood and misrepresented in many places today. And the Bible does not support any of those negative uses that I have mentioned. So I want to talk about this verse and dig into the details of it. But before I do that, I want to just cover some basics about marriage. What does the Bible say about marriage? Because you have to put Colossians 3.18 into the right context. And so here's the context of what the Bible says about marriage. Very quickly, because I'm just going to do a short teaching time. And we're going to turn it over to the panel. Number one, God designed marriage. God designed marriage. God said it's not good for man to be alone. He took a chunk of his side and he made a new person, a woman, and Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And they were a pair. They were a connection. They were brought together. And then the Bible says, this is why a man leaves his family and a woman leaves her family. And the two come together and become one flesh. They become united. They form a new family. That all happened because of God. God designed marriage. And so he knows the best way to do marriage. Marriage wasn't created by the government. And it can't ultimately be defined by the government. Marriage ultimately comes back from God. That's point number one. Point number two is that God designed marriage for one man and one woman. This is the biblical model, and I'm not going to go into detail about this today, but, but when the Bible talks about a man leaving his family and a woman leaving her family and forming a new family, that is the only biblical understanding of what a marriage is. It's that combination and no other combination. Now, there are examples in Scripture of, of relationships that did not follow that pattern. And those never ended well. Those didn't go well. They caused all kinds of problems, okay? So I'm not saying that, the, that everybody in the Bible did this perfectly, and certainly not everybody today does this perfectly. We're talking about God's design for marriage. How did he set it up? How does it work best? 
and he designed it to be for one man and one woman. And I'm not going to go into great detail about that right now. That's not the point of today. But if you want to know more about our position on this and what the Bible says about it, there's a great statement on our website at efree.org slash beliefs efree.org slash beliefs and you'll find not only our statement of faith but you will find a statement on human sexuality and you can learn more about it there so God designed marriage that's very important God designed marriage for one man and one woman that's the the combination the partnership that he set up and then number three God designed marriage to be for life God designed marriage to be for life it's supposed to be a lifelong partnership now because of our fallen world, there are times where divorce is necessary. Separating that partnership can be necessary sometimes. But that's not how God designed it. Now Moses and Jesus and Paul all said there are times when divorce is necessary. There are lines that when crossed are like, okay, that's, that's enough. But it's not how God designed it. It's not the way it's meant to be. The ideal is when we face difficulties in marriage, instead of saying, all right, that's it, I don't want to be with this person anymore, we do all the hard work to go through it together, to figure it out, to talk it through, to get counseling if we need to, and we work through those problems and we grow and we stay committed to each other. Now, our world and our culture is constantly bombarding us with the opposite message, right? To our world, marriage is kind of a cheap and easy thing. It's supposed to be convenient, and as soon as it doesn't make you feel good or isn't convenient anymore, you can throw it away. But that is not God's design for marriage. We are supposed to work together in a, in a very specific way so that we can have a lifelong partnership that God intended. Now, with all of that said, there's one other point that I really need to make here. And that is that God didn't design marriage for everyone. This is so important. God didn't design marriage for everyone. Now, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, you know, maybe back then pre-fall, you could say maybe everyone was supposed to have a partner. But in this fallen world, Jesus is very clear about the fact that not everyone is going to get married, not everyone has to get married, not everyone should get married. Paul is clear about that too. And I just want all of our singles to know that because sometimes singles get this idea that they are unvalued or unappreciated or, or uncared for because a lot of times what churches are talking about is marriage and husbands and wives and parenting and kids and that dominates a lot of our thoughts and conversation because it dominates a lot of our lives. But for all of our single people, they're like, what am I, just this perpetual third wheel that's kind of sticking out there? And I mean, where do I fit in all of this? And sometimes there's loneliness that sets in and this feeling of like, oh, I should be with something, someone, I've got to be with someone. Let me share with you something Jesus said in Matthew 19. He said, some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. You know, Paul never married. Jesus never married and maybe if you're single, you just haven't found the right person yet, and, and you will get married at some time in the future. Maybe you've chosen that marriage is just not for you, and you're going to focus your life on serving God as best as you know how, and, and you're just not going to get married. I know people in both of those situations. But even if you're just temporarily choosing not to marry, even that is for the sake of the kingdom. Because if you are choosing not to marry because you haven't found the right person, you haven't found the person that has the, the matching values that you have, that has the, the level of faith that you have, the focus on God that you have, then those are kingdom reasons to not get married. And so to not compromise, to not settle, to not be willing to, to uh, become in that lifelong partnership with someone who doesn't share the same kingdom values as you is choosing not to marry for the sake of the kingdom. And Jesus doesn't just say that's okay. That's a good thing. That can be a very good thing. So just know know that, um, 
that the Bible is completely fine with some people being single or single for a time, and there's no reason to feel um, bad about that. I know that it can be very lonely, uh, but do as, as Jesus and Paul suggested here. Do it for the sake of the kingdom. Don't settle for someone just because you feel like, I need to be married. I want to be in a relationship. Jesus acknowledges that that's not going to be the case for everyone for, at all time. So that's the foundation for marriage. Some important principles before we get into Colossians 3, 18. God designed marriage. He designed it for one man and one woman. He designed it to be for life, but he, he doesn't expect everyone to get married. And I hope what you're hearing in there is a lot of the word design, because I think that's a really key part of this. When someone designs something like, say, this, this phone, and they design it for someone else to use they usually create some kind of an owner's manual to give along with that thing so that they know it's going to be used correctly, right? We've talked about this before in this series. There's an owner's manual. For us, we would say the owner's manual that was given to us by our creator is what? The Bible. The Bible is our owner's manual for, from God. And God not only designed our lives, he also designed marriage. And so he has a lot to say in the owner's manual about marriage. Now, when we ignore the instruction in the owner's manual, we cause problems, like if I just ignore the requirement to change the oil in my car for a couple of years, I'm not even sure if it's going to make it a couple of years. All right, there's going to be problems there if I ignore that instruction. But equally destructive is if I misunderstand the instructions in the owner's manual, right? Like if I put canola oil in my, tr- my truck, I'm not sure if that's going to work as well. If I, use the wrong, if I misunderstand the instructions, you know, a couple months ago I bought some furniture online as a cabinet, and I was putting, I had the great privilege of assembling this cabinet myself, you know? It's one of those things where it's like, all right, I'm going to embark on a couple hours here, and we're going to try to fit all this stuff together. And I thought everything was going great. In fact, I, was, I thought I was making pretty good time. And I got to the end of this thing, and none of the stuff fit together. I put all the stuff together. It was the last thing. You need to all assemble everything together, and it didn't fit. And here's why it didn't fit. At the very beginning, I glanced at the instructions. I thought I understood them. I started putting it together. And there are a whole bunch of parts that are two types of parts that look very similar. And I had been using the wrong parts in the wrong places the entire time. So what I had to do was disassemble everything, take it all apart again, pry out those wrong parts with a screwdriver, put back the right parts in the right places, and then everything could fit together. And here's what I want to suggest to you. Colossians 3.18 gets a really bad rap. And in some cases, it's because we've ignored the instruction. But in a lot of cases, it's because we misunderstand the instruction. And so because we don't fully understand it, sometimes it's easy to just sort of stick it over to the side and say, I don't want to deal with that. I don't think about that very often. I'm not really sure what that means. We're just not going to... Or sometimes we misunderstand it and we apply it in the wrong way. And this happens in, in so many different ways. So what I want to do today and what I've been praying about all week is just to maybe dispel some of the myths, maybe help bring clarity to what is Paul actually trying to say with this phrase. And and as we understand it in its original context and what I think Paul and the Holy Spirit through him meant to say, I think it's going to help us understand how God wants us to operate based on his owner's manual. So let me put the verse back up there one more time so we've got this fresh in our minds. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Let's unpack this now. The first thing I want you to notice is that the verse is not written to men. Paul is specifically addressing wives here. It's not directed to the men. He's not telling husbands to, or the church to tell wives to submit. 
That's not what he's doing. He's addressing the wives directly and saying, wives, this is instruction for you. That means that this is something that the wife does voluntarily out of her free will. This is not something anyone makes her do. She has the agency and control over this. It also means, if you follow this logic, that Paul was expecting men and women to read and be taught from this letter directly. Right? Paul was addressing everyone, and then in this one verse, he specifically narrows in and just says, wives, I'm talking to you right now. So Paul's talking directly to the wives and saying, this is instruction for you. And by the way, next week we're going to look at the next verse where he says, husbands, this is instruction for you. And so Paul meant for both men and women to read and be taught by this. And the, the direction here is directly to wives. Number two, the instruction is only for marriage. This is not saying that all women are to submit to all men. This has nothing to do with the workplace or politics or anything like that at all. This is specifically for God's design for marriage. And and God's design is very important here. In fact, it's part of the reason why Paul gives this instruction in the first place. See, the reason for submitting, this is number three, is belonging to Christ. It's not because of something that the husband does. It's not because he makes it easy. It's because you belong to Christ. I've heard some wives say, I'll submit when he leads the way I want or when he loves me the way I want him to love me. Then I'll submit. And that's not a biblical prerequisite. That's not anything Paul says here. The submissive attitude is because you're a follower of Jesus, not because of something that the husband does or because he makes it easy to do. And I know that even that concept can be abrasive to some people. So stick with me because we're going to talk about the number one question that's on everyone's minds right now. And, and you're all wondering, you know what it is, right? What does it mean to submit? All right, we're going to talk about that in just, just a minute. But just know that this instruction is not meant to be um, subjective to something that the husband does per se. Uh, it's something that you do because of your relationship with Jesus, That's why it's not even a cultural thing. It's not like, oh, this applied back then, but it doesn't apply today. Paul says, this is because you belong to the Lord. In fact, the Bible even instructs Christian wives who don't have Christian husbands to do the same thing, which is really interesting. The Bible specifically says, hey, if you're a woman and you're a Christian and maybe you got saved later in life or something and you're married to a guy that has never trusted in Jesus, he's not obeying the gospel, the Bible says, you still need to submit to his authority. And by doing that and living your life a certain way, you may actually lead him to Christ in what you're doing. So this is not dependent on something the husband does per se. Now, now I want to give a little bit of an example of this because, and I won't be too specific, but I have known women who um, were saved later in life or as adults at least and were already married or something like that. And they spent decades living with their husband who was not a believer. And they were godly and respectful and they, they learned how to submit to a husband who was not following the same faith that they were. That's not an easy thing to do, but I've watched them do that with grace and with respect. And just to be clear, these are not husbands who are in any way abusive or were doing anything that would cause their wives to sin or anything like that. They just didn't have the kind of loving, gracious, you know, warmth that you would expect from a follower of Jesus in the marriage relationship. But they still respected their husbands and followed them and learned how to be submissive toward them. And 1 Peter 3 tells us that they can actually win their husbands to the Lord through that. So now it's time for the big question. The big question is, what does it mean to submit? And this word has been so distorted and so misused for a very long time. 
I feel like Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride when he says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And that's how I feel about this word submit. So often it has been used to mean something that it doesn't really mean. So here's the idea behind the original Greek word. The verb submit, hypotasso, does not convey some innate inferiority, but is used for a modest cooperative demeanor that puts others first. Submission is not about being unequal or inferior. It's not about passively going on with whatever someone else wants and not raising a question about it. It's a cooperative demeanor that puts others first. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus submits, same word, hypotasso, submits to God the Father. Does that mean that Jesus is in any way lesser than God the Father? If you know your theology, the answer is no. Jesus is equal with God the Father. So submission here cannot mean that in some way this creates an inferior relationship that where it's about a power dynamic or anything like that. This is not about equality. This is about a functional role. This is about a role that, that Jesus voluntarily adopts. Another way the Bible puts it is he's the son. When the Bible says the son of God, it's not talking about a biological son. This is positional sonship. It's the position of son and the position of father. And so Jesus submits to the father, but in submitting to the father, it in no way takes away anything from Jesus. They cooperate together. They work together, but Jesus lets the father take the primary leadership role. Does that mean Jesus is not a leader? No, of course not. Absolutely, Jesus is a leader. And yet the Bible tells us he submits to the ultimate role of leader that God the Father has. Ephesians 5 says that all believers should submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. All believers should be submitting to each other, working together with a cooperative demeanor, not expecting to always get their own way, but to defer to the other person and to have that cooperative demeanor that puts others first. So here's the key. God designed the family with certain roles so that it will function best. He did the same thing with the church, by the way. God gives people in the church different giftings. Some people he gives the spiritual gift of leadership. Romans 12 talks about that, the spiritual gift of leadership. Does that mean that people with the spiritual gift of leadership are in some way better or more valuable than the people who don't have that gift? Not at all. In fact, Paul actually says at one point, it's the lesser seen roles that typically get more honor. And so it has nothing to do with equality or value or inferiority or anything like that. It's a different function that God designs into the church and he does the same thing in the family with some different functional roles. It's God's design. That's how God designed it. Uh, both the husband and the wife are co-leaders in the family. But God has given a special role, a special responsibility to the husband to be the point person. The, the main leader, the one responsible to God for the leadership of that family. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul uses the word head. He says the husband is the head. Now, when you hear that word, you might think like a head of company or a head of state or something like that, but that is not what Paul has in mind here. What Paul is thinking of is literally the head of a body, the head of a body. And if you think about your body for a minute, your body, your head makes decisions for your body, but never in isolation. Your head is getting inputs from all over your body and it's trying to use those inputs to determine what is the healthiest, safest, best thing I can do for my body right now. How do I make wise decisions based on all those inputs? So when your stomach sends a signal up to your head saying, I'm hungry, your head jumps into action thinking about ways to get food. 
And when your hand sends a signal to your head saying, I'm touching something that's burning me, the head sends a signal to your arm that says, get the hand to safety. That's how the head works in your body. I think that's the idea that Paul has about the family here. See, the arm submits to the direction of the head, not because the head is trying to get some sort of power leverage over the arm, but because they're, col- they're collaborating, they're cooperating to work together for the health and safety of the entire body. And this, I think, is what Paul had in mind when he talks about the husband being the head of the family. It's not about being in charge. It's about being responsible. It's not about giving orders. It's about being the point person, the team leader. So I'm on team Bowers, right? And Jenny and I are co-leaders of that team. But God has given me as the husband a special responsibility to be the point person, the team leader for that team. What does that mean? Well, when one member of the family body is hurting, it's my responsibility to step in and jump into action and help. When one member of the team is struggling with something, it's my responsibility to step in and listen and care and to receive those inputs. When one member of the team is doing something that's destructive either for themselves or to the rest of the team, it's my responsibility as the leader to step in and maybe teach how to do that better, teach how to do that differently. So being the team leader is almost never about giving instructions that I have come up with. It's about listening to the inputs of the body of the team and then helping, collaborating, cooperating with my wife to make sure that the whole body, the whole family is working correctly together. It's about being proactive. It's about taking initiative. That's what leadership is all about. Now, I want to be clear before I wrap up here that I am in no way perfect at this. Okay, I mess up at this all the time. But see, my wife is very gracious and she does not try to take over my primary leadership role, even though I may make mistakes from time to time. We talk it through. We work it out. She shares when she disagrees. She does it respectfully. We have those kinds of conversations so that we can figure out how we're going to lead this family together. But when it comes right down to it, sometimes someone has to make a decision and I'm typically the one that's going to make that decision and she's going to support it. And that is just one example of how that kind of dynamic can work in the family. Sometimes we're submitting to each other. Sometimes I'm submitting to her. There are other ways that the Bible talks about that, how we all submit to each other. And and as far as the family dynamic is concerned, there are times where she is submitting to my leadership, not in an inferior way, unequal way, certainly not a domineering way from my perspective. It's about the order and the function, the design that God has set up for the family. Well, there's a whole lot more I could say about this, but I think it would be a whole lot better for you to hear how this applies practically from wives themselves. So we have a panel, a wonderful panel, that's gonna come out here right now and they are going to share with you the application portion of this. They're gonna talk about what it looks like in their marriages. They're going to talk about some of the struggles that they've had with this and share more with you. And then I'll be back in a little bit to lead us in communion together. And just a teaser for next week, okay? Don't worry the guys week is coming, all right? So next week is Colossians 3.19, rather. We're gonna talk all about the husbands and their need to love their wives. We'll talk a little bit more about leadership in there. So wives, make sure you get your husbands here next week to hear the message next week. We'll have a panel then as well. Let's turn it over to our panel right now. And actually, would you thank them for spending their time with us this morning? 
Hi, everybody. We are so happy to be here with you today. If you are joining us online or if you are here in the auditorium, thank you for being here. And we want to invite you into this fun conversation. We have had so much fun talking about this the last few days preparing, and we're just excited to dialogue with you on this today. So I am Jenny, and I am joined by four awesome ladies. We've got Abby, Carol, Beth, and Anne. And between the five of us, we represent 115 years of marriage, which is pretty awesome. So yeah, so those years have been filled with lots of joy, lots of challenges, lots of learning and growing, and it is our hope that we will have the opportunity to share some of that with you today. So Adam just shared a great introduction and great foundation on the biblical foundation for submission. And we're going to hash some of that out practically and what does that look like in our lives. So our first question is, what does submission mean and what does it not mean? Um, Well, I just want to acknowledge, as Adam did, that this word sometimes can just grate on you. And I think that has been true for me. And um, just as it kind of can be like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem fair. And that can get to us. So I think that whenever we feel that way, particularly with the word of God, we have to dig in a little bit more. And so um, that has been my process. And so um, what I would say, I think it's easier kind of to talk about what it is not um, than it is what it is. I think that's harder for some reason. So I think just to start out, I would say what it is not, I think we tend to think it is disempowering or somehow it means you are to be smaller or less than. And I don't know about any of you, but I certainly did not want to sign up for an entire life of being less than I was meant to be or felt like I am. And so um, I really feel like as we know who God is as our father, as our creator, that he does not wouldn't want us to be smaller than we are. And so I think that that just isn't a consistent understanding with who he is as our loving God and creator. Um, And I think it also does not mean just going along and not having an opinion or a thought or a contribution. Because I think as God even said, he did not think it was good for Adam to be alone. He wanted and needed a helpmate. And so I think that that means our voice and our opinion and our thought is very important. And not only that, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that means that it is critical when we come to decisions or come to certain points that we need to be contributing. Um, I think that is the expectation of the Lord in that. So what does it mean? I think it is easier for me to think of a picture of it because I think it is so much so a heart posture that obviously reveals itself. But I think... um, The picture helps me a little bit. So I imagine that, um, you know, if you ever did like driver's ed, um, which I, we all hopefully did if we're drivers, but um, I remember there were some, there were two wheels in the car. There was, you know, that someone could take over if there was problems. So imagining if there are two drivers in a car, that's probably not going to go well if they're both in charge. And so that picture kind of helps me. So how it is plays out a little bit as I think the person in the passenger seat 
um, whoever that may be. And I think sometimes we change drivers, right? On long road trips, um, someone's tired or someone's just better at driving in the city or something like that. So we change drivers. And I think that is true in marriage sometimes. But I think the passenger seat is just as important, whether they're paying attention or saying, oh, watch out, that person's backing out or, um, hey, make a left here. You've... Um, are about to miss that. I think the passenger is just as important and has to actually be completely trusted by the driver if they're going to listen to them. And in the same vein, you trust the driver um, when you are in the passenger seat. And so I think that marriage is kind of like that, that we do sometimes trade places, but when we are in the passenger seat, um, that we are critical, our voice matters, but we are trusting the driver. So that sometimes that picture helps me. Um, as I think about this. Yeah, I think when it, we're talking about what it doesn't mean, like you've said, it doesn't mean being passive. When you're passive, it is only going to create more distance between you and your husband, which is obviously not the goal. But thinking about what it does mean is looking at how our actions and our attitudes are towards our husband. How are we loving our husband? How are we respecting our husband? How are we showing appreciation to our husband? Thank you. Thank you both for that insight. I think to summarize, one of the biggest lies in Christian culture today is that submission is some sort of passive, listless, disengaged posture. And that's so far from the truth. It isn't. I mean, Jesus was active. He was engaged. He was passionate. He dialogued with people. And if we're to be like Christ, if we are to be Christ-like, then that means that's how we can view this relationship. And we can ultimately seek to honor God first, not just a human, but be honoring God and then submit in the ways that God calls us to just as Jesus did as well. But it's active. It's not something where we just sit back and lose all power or anything like that. So that leads me to my next question. What does submission look like today in our culture and in our time? Um, I think that sometimes women wonder, why do we have to be submissive? And it helps me to realize that men have to be submissive in some areas too, when you think about it. You know, they need to be submissive to the Lordship of Christ, to governing authorities, to their employer's directives. So it, they have that role in some cases too. But it also uh, helps me understand the value of submission when I think about how Jesus had to submit as well, and he chose to submit. Even though he was equal with God the Father, he knew that his role, his function, was to provide the way of salvation by going to the cross for us, and he willingly did that. But he did wrestle in prayer over that, as you recall, that in the garden before the crucifixion, he did plead in prayer, Father, is there another way? But nevertheless, your will, not mine. And so that needs to be our posture too, I think, as we want to submit to the Father's perfect will, uh, that we are willing, that we, we want to obey, we want to fulfill our role um, as the, the helpmate to our husband's. And it makes sense um, that 
if God heard the vows we said to each other when we got married, he wants to help us fulfill them. And he created marriage. It was his design. So he knows best. It's like Adam said, the owner's manual. What does the Bible say? How to live this out as husband and wife. So it makes sense that he, he knows the plan that works best. I think it also helps me to know when I think about Jesus and his willingness to submit to the Father that I have a shepherd who understands the challenges of submission. And um, early in our marriage, that was really reassuring to me. One of the first major decisions we faced was a move that had lots of implications. Bill was in seminary. He had just talked to a college professor about an opportunity to uh, do a one-year internship, and he was so excited. So he came over to my the office I was working at. I was answering all the incoming calls to the seminary. So between all those calls, he started telling me about this exciting opportunity, and this would be so neat. And I'm listening, thinking, yeah, but you know, doesn't that mean we're going to have to leave our apartment? I'm going to have to leave my job. We're going to move to another state for a year. I'm going to have to get a job. We're going to have to get an apartment. And then at the end of the year, we're going to have to move back. I'm going to have to get another job. We're going to have to get a new apartment. I'm just thinking of all the negatives. And it just was the beginning of revealing to us that we process decisions very differently. And Bill had to learn that I need time to process and ask questions and that I need to not be negative from the get-go because sometimes I think big changes are bad ideas. That's kind of my default. And so I've learned that I can trust the process and trust him and trust God to work through him to lead me. I think when we're talking about culture too, we have to ask if it's culturally bound and and like Adam and Carol said all throughout scripture is talking about submission and we see it specifically in the Trinity where they are equal but they all have separate roles and in the beginning when God created husband and wife he gave us specific roles so I think we can know confidently that we should be having these specific roles today and I think outside of do it like submission being done in a wrong way. If we feel uncomfortable with the idea, we also have to look at what our culture is telling us today and what these subconscious, it's coming subconsciously into our minds from culture. And and one of those is we're a very me-centered culture. We're so tied around self-fulfillment and self-gratification that I think if we have subconsciously kind of put that into our hearts, it's going to be a lot harder to want to submit because submission is not about (laughs) you and your wants always. And I think another thing that is really prevalent in our culture is the idea of male, male bashing specifically in TV and movies and that the men are meant to look stupid. And I think that that can come into our brains without us realizing it. And we can have a hard time as women respecting the men in our life and letting them lead if we have kind of have that in our mind without realizing it. Thank you both so much for sharing. So some find submission easier than others. 
So how does someone live out submission and what are some of its benefits? Well, I have found that it can be a great benefit when I release that final decision to Frank, I also let go of the burden of that responsibility. With that in mind, I still have to know that he has permission to fail and not all the decisions may work out looking great. But I also remember then that God may not be done. And so I want to refrain from any I told you so's or husband bashing and um, just do what I'm supposed to be doing. I personally need to avoid swinging over to the road that leads to just being a doormat and saying, oh, okay, you decide because I want to keep the peace, I want to keep everybody happy, I want to keep safety. On the other hand, because that will lead to resentment and bitterness. On the other hand, it's not good to be overbearing and domineering. We want to look for the healthy path that God has shown us. That's the function of the family to work at its very, very best. And God has given that role to men as the head of the house. And I Although I may not always trust Frank, I surely trust the Lord in that. And when I obey God in this way, things won't get messy, and it will, it will always work out for the very, very best. I have learned along the way that I really need to improve some communication skills and to pray a lot. Thank you for mentioning the prayer piece. I know for us, um, we will talk a lot and discuss a lot and really wrestle through various um, struggles and issues that we may have or decisions that we have to make. And I found too that there are times when I feel that mm, big disagreement, you know, inside. And we've had those open discussions that I need to just take some time and step back and spend some time praying about it and really come before the Lord and ask him, okay, God, what, what am I thinking about this? What am I believing about this? Is there something in my heart that is selfish and ugly or um, not of you that I need to work through on my own before I come back to this conversation. And a lot of times there is something going on in me that I really need to get right with him. And that completely influences the track and the trajectory of what we're discussing. And it doesn't mean that there isn't additional discussion and wrestling. I think part of submission is that it's a process. It's not a one-time thing. I think it can go on as situations in our life go on. But at the same time, having that opportunity to just touch base with the Lord really can get our hearts in the right place and in a healthy place that then allows us to, like you said, trust God too, that um, he's at work and you know, search me, oh God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and Lord, do the same for my husband, you know, and, and can we both seek you together in this decision? And then also praying for the, um, the fruit of the spirit, the evidence of him in our lives, that joy, that peace, that patience, the self-control, like that is the root of so much, right? And if it's like, Lord, please have that in my heart. Would you, would you help me to exude that as I am working through this situation? I think it can pave a really healthy road for, um, for that open discussion and that team partnership that we've been talking about. Um, I saw it in our marriage was Early on, we had a really, really big decision to make. And from the very beginning, I felt pretty confident in the decision that we were going to be making. Um, but Steve didn't. And by the grace of God, um, I felt the conviction that 
I can't be his Holy Spirit and that I just need to be praying for him and continue to have those discussions with him. So, I mean, it was a process of, yeah, talking about it, often praying about it. Um, but over months, the benefit of me not trying to be his Holy Spirit was also seeing him like work through it with the Holy Spirit and his own. And both of us come to the same conclusion months later, but both of us having a stronger conviction of this is where the Lord was calling us when I allowed him to lead and making that final decision and praying alongside of him. I love that, Abby, because it really is showing that engaged process of not just sitting back, not being passive, but really engaging with Steve and making sure that you guys are on the same page and letting God guide too as well. All right, Carol, I'm going to pass this on. Does it work? It's not working. All right. I don't think it's on, right? Okay. Oh, oh we hear you. Oh, here we go. There you go. Good. Thank you. Okay, well, I think we were talking about the importance of communication and the time it takes sometimes to make decisions together. And I know, as I mentioned in my last example, that's certainly been true for us. And I just have to learn not to react before I hear him out, just because I'm thinking, oh, that's not a good idea. Um, because I have to realize myself and my tendency to be um, not too excited about big changes, but I would never want to be the one that stands in the way of how God wants to lead us. And so I want to bring my fears or concerns to the Lord. And I've learned that I can trust God. And th this is one of the benefits of submission that I think you were asking about, right? That one of the submissions is I think we learn how to trust God to lead our husbands, to lead us, and to lead our family. And so that increases our faith in God ultimately and, and makes for a good working relationship, I think, too, especially as we've talked and prayed together about some of these things. I think another benefit that I've seen in submission, because, you know, we don't really talk about the benefits that much. We kind of talk about how hard it is. But I think another benefit besides growing my faith in God is just that there is more harmony in my home. Uh, there's more harmony if we are fulfilling the roles that God designed because he is the de designer of family. So of course, uh, there's going to be more peace, I think more contentment, and sure, it's not perfect at all, and we still have so much to learn with a lot of grace need to be thrown in all the time. But um, I think there is so much to be said for seeking God's role for each of us in the marriage. I think um, something else I was thinking about, just um, how we do have different personalities and different bents. And I think even as you said this, Anne, that I think sometimes we can just want to just go along for the sake of peace, but it's not true peace. It's kind of appeasement. And then on the other side, we're fighting for our agenda because we trust ourselves more. And I think if you look at both of those, they both are, a, they could be selfishness, but I think they both are protection. And that I think that God is calling us always out to trust him. And I think we do um, flex that muscle a lot through trusting the people he's put in our lives, specifically our spouse. And so 
Anyway, I do think both of those challenge. So I think it is good to look at what is my propensity and just be aware of that. And the other thing it talks about benefits, I was thinking that specifically, you know, when someone is trusted with something, you, know, you think about, you know, if I trust one of my daughters to do a new task and they're so like, did you see that? And, you know, it's a moment for success. And, and I think um, I've seen that in my husband as I've trusted something um, that there is a thriving, a joy that is like, I was meant to carry that and it felt good you know, for him. And so I think that is part of how God designed men um, to take joy in that. And if we never give them that joy, um, I think we miss out on a gift to ourselves too. So that is such a good point, that gift. And then I loved what someone said earlier too about um, just seeing, seeing them grow and the, and the trust that comes and builds in your relationship. That is such a beautiful thing to watch God develop in our marriages. And I know as we were talking uh, backstage before today, we were saying how as we've prepared for this, it has made us evaluate things and us consider, you know, and check in with our spouses. Hey, hey, how, how are we doing in this? And it's opened up a really good conversation because it really is a continual process of growing in that trust and allowing that beauty that comes from the peace and the calm of that order that God created to be fleshed out in our families. So with that being said, for some, submission is really hard and we wanna recognize that. Maybe it's because the team isn't being led well or maybe there is not care shown. Uh, and of course, we're all gonna disagree at some point too. So there is that. So what has been your process when submission has not been easy and it's been challenging? Well, we had a time when we had a very prodigal child and Frank and I were heart sick about it. We prayed a lot about it. We talked a lot about it. But then he had a solution that I wasn't completely on board with. But at the time... I just felt, it was kind of wonderful, actually, the Lord leading me to just release that. And I wouldn't have even called it submission at the time, but in obedience to the Lord and in honor of what God's word says, I let go of that and we went with how Frank felt we should. And you know, in the long run, and it was a very long run, it just, it turned out beautifully. So I love remembering that I am on Team Agape, you know, I want to be his helpmate. He doesn't have to do anything to earn that position. It's a position that God has just granted him. So if I do my part, if I know I've prayed, I've searched my heart, I see that I don't have any wrong motives, it's actually my own behavior that I'm ultimately responsible to the Lord for and no one else's. And so I just need to be obedient to the Lord and to his word hard though it may be. I was thinking for um, us, one of the maybe longer decision processes where I was not initially excited about Todd's idea was actually moving here. Um, we were coming from California. I loved my job. My family was there. And so when he kind of floated this idea of moving to the St. Louis area, I was like, why would we do that? Um, and so Really, it was for us, for me particularly, it was probably a two-year discussion of going back and forth. And um, I remember, you know, sitting at restaurants together as we were trying to figure out, like, 
what are your top three priorities in life? And really trying to find that we could make a decision when our top three priorities were the same. And that took a really long process. And I thought his, um, and he wasn't 100% certain either. And so I think he did want my voice in that. But at the same time, I wanted to trust that his vision for our family had something to it. And, um, and that took some time, but I was thinking what you said, Anne, that, um, God didn't leave me alone in that. Like I really felt him whispering to me and it rhymed. So it stuck, but I felt like it was trust God, trust Todd. And, um, so I think he gave me a good, a little matching tune to help me for the rest of my life. But, um, but I thought, you know, that was so kind of God that I can trust God through who he's given me. And so anyway, I think that was a time for us. Thank you so much both for sharing those personal stories. And I think something that has been mentioned here as well as something that Adam mentioned, but that we want to call attention to as well is that there are so many unique situations that we can't possibly cover in our time up here together. And so we want to recognize that you have a unique story and a unique marriage and submission has never been designed by God for any sort of abuse, um, physical, emotional, financial, any sort of abuse, any sort of domineering, that is not what God designed it for. Likewise, as women, we were not um, told or instructed to adopt some sort of unhealthy posture or grow bitterness in our heart. And maybe for some of you, you're sitting in here and you're going, I have serious trust issues with my spouse. You know, I, how in the world am I going to trust this person to help lead our family? And so if any of that resonates with you, or if you're watching online, if that resonates with you, we want to encourage you to please reach out to someone, whether that is a mentor, whether that is a couple good godly friends, or maybe call the care office here at church and ask for a referral to a Christian counselor. We were not innately born with all of the information that we need to operate in a healthy way in life. We just weren't. That's why we have God's word. That's why we have each other where we can learn and grow and sharpen each other. And that's why we have life experience too. And so it is so important to recognize that and to have a discussion with your spouse, have a check-in if it's a safe discussion to have. And if it's not, please reach out and have those conversations so that your marriage can thrive or your marriage can heal. That is what God desires. He can, desires reconciliation and growth and health because that's what he models. So as we've discussed, again, Jesus lays out that model for us. He was active. He was engaged. And uh, there was no room for any sort of domineering or dictatorial uh, behavior. So again, we hope that this discussion encourages you today so that if you are having a challenge and you are having a hard time, that you can really reach out and change that because that is possible. So true, Jenny. We really do just need friends. We need mentors because we will, and we will fail. You know, we, we don't always get it right. And um, that's okay. God doesn't expect perfection, does he? He expects, uh, he asks for a willing heart and he offers to help us in this process of becoming the wives that he wants us to be. And uh, he The biggest helper for me is remembering that I have the Holy Spirit in me. 
uh, to be my helper. And so knowing that fruit of the Spirit that is ours um, as believers, as followers of Christ, we have His love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And those are ours. And I memorize those because I need those so much. And I pray through those about every day because I realize how I don't have it in myself to serve someone else. I want to. That's my desire. And so um, I think that we can remember and we can be encouraged that even though we may feel weak, God is strong and he is our helper. Absolutely. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit, and I'm so thankful that God's called us to be a team in our marriage and a larger team as the body of Christ to grow and to learn and to wrestle together. And it truly can be such a beautiful thing. Hard, for sure, but such a beautiful thing when we're doing that as he designed. Thank you, ladies, again so much for joining me in this conversation. Thank you for being a part of that. I'm going to go ahead and close our time right now in prayer. God, We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you created um, us, uh, that there is an order and that there is a design and that you are not a God of chaos. You are a God, a God of order and of creativity and of beauty and of diversity. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you for each of the marriages represented here, uh, both of the people sitting in this room and watching online. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet each person where they are at. And Lord, may each person seek you. God, would you search their hearts? Would you teach them and would you guide them? And Lord, I pray that this would be the beginning of healthy conversations that take place in marriage as we seek to work as a team together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are worthy of our worship. Thank you for your love and your sacrifice for us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that that was a helpful conversation for you to have. I certainly like hearing from our wives how they apply this in their marriages. I think it's such a helpful thing for us to understand from their perspective. And as Jenny and I were talking this week, preparing for this Sunday, one of the things that came up was just how do we go from a marriage with a lot of struggles early on to where we are at today, where we still have our struggles, but we've learned so much better how to handle them. And we just kept coming back to Jesus. It's all all about the the influence that Jesus has in our lives and how we are trying to live like him. And as we do that, because of what he's done for us, he's, he's changed us radically. He's grown us to a point where we can have the kind of marriage that hopefully honors and, and glorifies God. And that's what we're gonna celebrate right now, the sacrifice of Jesus for us. So we're gonna take communion together. This is the Lord's Supper. If you are a follower of Jesus, we welcome you to participate with us in this. If you're not, you can just let the plate pass you by. If you're online, right now, you may want to go grab something for the bread and the juice, something to represent the body and the blood of Jesus. It could be a cracker and some bread. It could be uh, just some juice that you have or even some water if you need to. And if you need to, you can go ahead and pause this right now if you're watching online and go get the elements that you need to take communion with us. Um, but as you, as you have a tray pass in front of you, you're going to want to take out a stack of cups. There's two cups. You can separate them because we'll take the bread first and the juice afterward. Let me go ahead and pray before we distribute the elements here. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sacrifice for us in sending Jesus and Jesus for you to be submissive to the Father. The Bible says the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and and Jesus for you to be submissive to that leadership and to come and die for us so that we could be saved, so that we could be free and, and live a new life with the realities of heaven in our life today. We're so thankful, Lord. We, we ask God that you would reveal our sin in our lives that we need to confess to you. Help us um, to live out the life that you want us to live in submissiveness to each other and to you. And Lord, as we now remember your sacrifice for us, just help us to understand in a fresh way the impact that the gospel has on our lives every day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.